bum bum bottom 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 bum
I'm at Trader Joe's, right, you know? Right, right. And I've done the thing, and this is embarrassing, but I've done the thing where, oh, I'll, I'll just give a specific example. So you and I were getting in line for the Jurassic Park ride. Yeah, Universal Studios, uh-huh. California. And there was a person who was just standing on, he wasn't necessarily in line, but he seemed to be standing up on a plank, kind of surveying the area. Yeah, contemplating, should I get into this line? And he was wearing like kind of a dapper hat. And I looked at this guy and then I realized like I was looking for way too long, deep into this stranger's soul. And then I got only a few feet away and said out loud, that dude looks like Ben Folds. And that's because that dude (laughs) was Ben Folds. And he ran away. He got right out of line. Uh, yeah, he, he skedaddled. Woo, 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 woo. And that's not the first time it's you've done that. It's not an isolated incident. Talk about the other incident, Lisa. Lisa is turning bright red I and am. pulling the glasses off of her face, listeners. Okay, so then there was, of course, we ha- we were at San Diego Comic-Con. I yeah. can't remember the year. Uh, yeah, I don't remember the year. But we- it coincided with Wootstock. Right. So Wootstock and Comic-Con were both happening in the San Diego area. And we had just left Wootstock to wander the streets of San Diego. And um, we were on a crowded, noisy, I should say that. Very busy. Street corner. Definitely loud, Lisa. And um, and I'm like nudging Brad. And Brad, of course, because I'm all, like I'm short-ish. Like I'm on the tall side of short. So I'm like looking at a bunch of shoulders and looking at a bunch of people and Will Wheaton is like <laughs> right next to me. And so I'm like trying to nudge Brad, but Brad's head is way above the crowd. He's looking around. I'm a giraffe. He's, he's having a completely separate experience than me. I'm like trying to like nudge him and get his attention, but he, I can't, I can't get his attention. So I start calling his name, Brad, Brad. Brad, Will Wheaton is right there. And then Will Wheaton breaks into a run. Yeah, sprinted. With his son. Sprinted. His son was like a teenager. Full on, like, you know, arms swinging run away from Lisa's insanity. As if I said, hey, Brad, that's Will Wheaton. Let's start a riot. That was... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the way that he ran away. When I think Will Wheaton now, I don't think Stand By Me. I don't think Star Trek The Next Generation. I think the back of his head just furiously speeding away because Lisa has terrified him. I know. So I know. that the, the, the long story short being like, I have now come to the realization. That your wife doesn't know how to modulate her voice. Well, I've known that for, I've known that ever since that day. But I've come to the realization that Superman can get away with just a glasses disguise. And but not around me, because I would be like, if I, if it mentally clicked, like, it, it, that is Superman. Would, yeah, I'd be like, Brad, Superman is right there. And then Lex Luthor he, would hear it. Yeah, he, he would jet real quick. But like, also, you know, Superman's got... Not only the glasses, but he does have the haircut, right? So he goes from that curly cue to the funky part. And, you know, I always like Frank Quietly's all-star Superman interpretation where when he was Clark, he would also change his posture. He'd hold his head a little differently, give himself a little bit of a double chin. And, and so, like, you just put Clark Kent in a different body stature, a different suit, different haircut, and now glasses. And you're like, well, that's definitely not Superman. Mm-hmm. And also he has some, like plausible deniability like 
how could I possibly be Superman? I'm at Trader Joe's. That's right. Yeah, Superman would not shop at Trader Joe's. I don't know. They have some great snacks that you can't get anywhere else. <laughs> uh, chili. What are those? Um, uh, chili mm. mangoes. Mm, so good. Oh, Freeze-dried. Ooh, so good. All right. So uh, I think we have just replicated the banter that we had a little while ago on the couch. Nailed it. Word for word. I wrote it out as a script, you guys. <laughs> like, it's, we were trying to replicate Mumblecore without being Mumblecore. Yeah, yeah, we're that good. Okay. Okay. I can say okay. <laughs> you, you were starting to normally. say all righty then, oh, and I you're did. like, do I really want to be that guy? I can't do all righty then anymore. I'm, I'm <laughs> not doing the Ace Ventura voice. Uh, it's over. Uh, it is now time. Uh-huh. Okay. All righty then. It is now time to end our X couple series, our latest ex-couple series that began with Shatterstar and Richter, Storm and Callisto, and what was the last one? Hindsight and Morph. Uh, and man, I loved that last episode. We've I, read some really amazing comics. We've also read some terrible comics. That's correct. That's correct. And to close everything out, we are actually returning to Extreme X-Men. Lisa, there's Can no... I say, can I say we're going out with a BAMF? <laughs> You're going out <laughs> with a BAMF. You can say that. You want to try it one more time? Uh, Brad. Yeah. With this X-Men series, we are going out with a BAMF. I think we definitely are. We're back under the peculiar banner of Extreme X-Men, but it's got a new writer spearheading this adventure, and that adventure is a totally unique concept that bears no resemblance to the Extreme X-Men we covered during our Storm and Callisto episode a few weeks back. Extreme X-Men launched with a new number one in 2012. Chris Claremont is gone and Greg Pak is in his place. Pak is probably most well-known within the comics community as the writer behind Planet Hulk and World War Hulk, two events that were my favorite Hulk comics until Immortal Hulk came around just a little while ago. Oh gosh, Lisa, we need to get some Hulk comics on this podcast and we need to get you to finally read all of Immortal Hulk. The listeners are already demanding it on Twitter, Lisa. Immortal Hulk, you got to get into it. What would be our self-help self-help book for that? I have no idea. That's your job to find that out. Oh, man. And like, even though the romance is often Betty, I think like the actual relationship in a Hulk comic is Bruce and the Hulk, Ooh. right? Uh, well, I just found a great book for like the power of being an introverted person. Mm. But I, I'm, I'm kind of saving that for Hellboy. Oh, oh, interesting. Well, Hellboy's romantic life is um, not great either, uh, <laughs> but that's something to explore. I think like even Hellboy, you would want to do like a self-help like book, not a relationship book, but like right. how does Hellboy help himself as Anungun Rama, right? Anyway, getting off field here. Uh, what some comic book readers might not know, however, about Greg Pak is that Greg Pak is also a well-respected filmmaker. He was the cinematographer on the documentary The Personals, improvisations on romance in the golden years, which was directed by his wife, Kiko Eby, and won an Academy Award for Best Documentary Short Subject. Wow. Pretty cool. That is cool. Uh, you can actually now rent that film, Lisa, on Amazon. I have the price at $3.99. Throw a couple bucks their way. As we'll get into it in a bit, the second volume of Extreme X-Men is super weird. 
On the surface, it sounds like a knockoff of the Marvel Comics series Exiles about a group of mutants who hop around from alternate reality to alternate reality, collecting mirror universe versions of your favorite and not so favorite characters onto their roster. Uh, but Extreme X-Men, even though it does the same thing, it has a more focused motivation behind it. The setup is this. The Dazzler of the 616 Marvel Universe, a.k.a. the main Marvel Universe, joins up with the dimensional hopping extreme X-Men, which consists of alternate versions of Wolverine, the James Hallett we're discussing this week, Nightcrawler, Sage, Cyclops, Emma Frost, and others. Eventually, an alternate universe version of Hercules joins up, and their mission is to kill the evil Professor X's across all the multiverses, right? So while we have a great Professor X in the 616, there are actually many universes that have a terrible Professor X. And so it's up to the extreme X-Men to take them down. So this week, when we're talking about the passionate romance between Wolverine and Hercules, we're not talking about the versions who inhabit the majority of Marvel comics. In fact, these two versions do not appear anywhere else. They're trapped within Extreme X-Men and the few comics in which Extreme X-Men ties into this larger extermination series. So here's a brief rundown on who and where our James Howlett and Hercules came from. Not Earth 616, but Earth 12025, 12025. And I took this off of the fandom website. Okay. Uh, so James Hallett was Governor General of the Dominion of Canada and Viceroy of Her Majesty's Expedition to Shangri-La. He had several adventures with Hercules, the pair becoming their world's greatest heroes. They eventually began a romantic relationship, but were forced to keep it secret because Her Majesty forbid homosexual relationships and Zeus forbid any god but himself from consorting with mortals. Hercules gave Howlett the mystical adamantium medal, which was later bonded to his skeleton. When we get into our main discussion, we're going to get into it a little bit further, but we don't actually get to spend a lot of time with these characters, even within Extreme X-Men, as short as that series is. And I think that's just such an incredible shame. I'd actually love to see that brief little paragraph I just read blown out into its own series. I need to know more about these two characters. Their intense passion for each other is incredibly attractive, and that's what I want to highlight with this week's CBCC episode. Passion between two total bad asses. It's a romantic dynamic that doesn't get highlighted enough in comics, especially Marvel comics. And it perfectly reflects our relationship, doesn't it, honey? Uh, uh, yes, we're two total badasses, <laughs> without a doubt. Uh, I was actually reading an interview with Greg Pak. I think it was on iFanboy. It was like a transcript of one of their podcasts. And he said he loved the extreme X-Men designation, the word extreme, because it gave him permission to run all the stop signs with this series. You know, it's a full metal blitz of a tale. It burns bright and it was never going to last. But Lisa, as usual, before we can dive into the comic book insanity, we got to check in with our love experts. Because after all, even though we've been together for 14 years, and married for 12, we ourselves are not experts. We seek help in that department from others. I feel like I am trapped in a country song because I feel like I'm looking for help 
in all the wrong places because, <laughs> yes, this is our last episode with the New York Times bestselling book, The Normal Bar, The Surprising Secrets of Happy Couples and What They Reveal About Creating a New Normal in Your Relationship, a book about bettering relationships through our super squishy science of statistics by Christiana Northrup, Dr. Pepper Schwartz, and Dr. James Witt. The Normal Bar is based on an over 1,300-question survey with over 70,000 participants and resulting 1.7 million data points. And I am so relieved to say that this is our last hurrah with this book (laughs) because there are only so many ways I can say that these data points are mostly meaningless. For any of you James Howlett stands, Howlett heads? What would they be called? Uh, I like Howlett heads. (laughs) (laughs) Who jumped in on this episode, the normal bar presents findings of their survey like... 40% of all couples rarely show public displays of affection. And 38% of all men sleep in the nude so that we can look at our relationships and go, where do I fit into this normal? And how is that working out for my relationship? Mm -hmm. We've Mm -hmm. applied this book to three ex-couples, Richter and Shatterstar, Storm and Callisto, and Hindsight and Morph. And while it spurred a lot of fun convos, I've since learned a little bit about statistics, just enough to know that the findings of this book are just a load of BS. You're so ready to get done with this book. (laughs) I am. What does BS stand for, my love? Uh, Well, I can't say it. That's a dirty word, and we're a clean podcast. It stands for bad science. Oh, bad science, bad (laughs) science. Yes, bad science. Everyone knows that BS is bad science. I am sure our darling listeners are sick of hearing me say them. So, Brad, how about you read the people? Oh, really? Our gripes about the normal bar. Okay, let me see here. Let me roll down our notes. Uh, number one, they subscribe to the gender binary as well as only hetero and homosexual relationships. Boo. Number two, they rarely cite sources other than their own survey. Table flip. Number three, there is no margin of error because this is not based on a random sample because the survey participants are self-selecting. Sounds of glass shattering. (laughs) Last week, we started digging into the scandalously brief methodology index, which brought to our attention that despite boasting about their 70,000 survey participants, we don't know what the sample size actually represents for each given finding Mm. because no one survey participant answered all 1,300 survey questions. So now, hammers up, you guys. Let's put the last nail in this coffin. (laughs) Another issue with having a self-selected sample rather than a random sample is that you can't accurately reflect the population by balancing demographics. You have to balance demographics because you want your results to best reflect the population that you're extrapolating data about. In the methodology appendix, there is a chart where you can compare the demographics of the normal bar sample versus the 2010 U.S. Census. And even though the normal bar boasts that their data was collected from all around the world, including Canada, England, France, Italy, Spain, Hungary, Australia, New Zealand, the Philippines, and China, the demographics are I 
eyebrow raising. For example, the normal bar's sample is 88.9% white and 11.1% non-white. That's For reference, the U.S. Census says that the United States is 72.4% white and 27.6% non-white, which makes you wonder how many participants from China did they really have? Right. Yeah, okay. Mm. For some further perspective, in the 2010 census, 13% that I looked up, this was not included in the book, 13% of the U.S. population was black or African-American. The normal bar chart doesn't further delineate by race because I'm guessing some races would look in the book not statistically significant. Mm. Does this stop them from including statistics about, say, African-Americans? No, it does not. And I actually included in the original script one of the things they generalize about African-Americans based on their data, and I took it out because guess what, you guys? It was hurtful. Yeah, crazy offensive. All right, so yeah, I will call BS on that. Yeah. Bad statistics, bad bad science. (laughs) Yeah. On this chart, you can see their demographics based on gender, binary, age, race, or ethnicity, and education. There are other demographics that they refer to in the book that we don't get to see the percentage of, like country of residence, who is in relationships versus single, or sexual preference. Yeah, yeah, because they don't want you to know because it's going to be... Like 12 people or whatever. Right, right. So, so let's refer back to one of my favorite statistics to quote from the normal bar. Here it is, quote, among extremely happy gay men and lesbians, 100% give massages on a regular basis. We start with a large sample of over 70,000 people, but then we whittle it down to those who self-identified as gay or lesbian, an unknown quantity, narrow it down further to those who chose the module that contained the question about back rubs, another unknown quantity, and then we narrow it down further to those who identified their relationship as extremely happy. Yeah. This statistic could literally be based on two people, a gay man and a lesbian, who briefly stopped rubbing each other to take a fun (laughs) online quiz. That's not research. Yeah, yeah, that's not even borderline unethical. It's just straight up (laughs) wrong. The normal bar summarizes their typical survey taker as such. The normal bar participants are more likely to be women, are younger, 25 to 34, are more likely to be white and less likely to be Hispanic and are more likely to have higher levels of education than the U.S. population overall, which is, uh, me, the (laughs) dum-dum who bought this book. The last sentence of the methodology appendix defends their methodology as such. If the normal bar survey sample contains people who are especially interested in the quality of their relationships, that's not a problem. Rather, that's a good thing. It simply means that the normal bar respondents are like you. Hmm. That's the end of the quote, which is wild because it's essentially saying that you are reading this book 
to learn what people who are like you think, mm. which makes me question, like, why am I reading this book in the first place? If I want confirmation. Uh, yeah, exactly. It just confirms how obsessed white women in their 30s <laughs> with master's degrees are with themselves, where yeah. it's just like, I just want to read a book about me, which is true. Oh, it hurts. It hurts. If I wanted to know what people who are like me think, all I have to do is talk to the people I already know or just talk to myself some more. So yeah, this book is total trash. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate how much it has opened my eyes about taking casual statistical data for granted. Mm. Like people will toss numbers off at me on the news or let's be real, a headline on Twitter. And I I never before wondered about the sample size or the demographic, especially if it was already supporting one of my preconceived harebrained notions. But there's also another side of this where poorly done, thoughtless statistical data is spoiling the well and making us feel like no numbers can be trusted Mm. because there is always some nefarious person manipulating yeah, them. Yeah, 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 yeah. And well, and that's why like when I have conversations with my parents, they're like, don't forget, statistics can lie. Yeah. And they're right, but also guys. Yeah, like. <laughs> don't use it as an excuse either. Yeah. <laughs> not to learn new things. Or, or not to. Not to, tr- not to question your, um, your belief system, your thought process. Yeah, I mean, statistics should make us curious and we should look for sources that we trust but I think it's really dangerous to go out into the world and say, you can't believe anything. But I think you do what you are what you did with this book, right? You drill down. Like, yeah. okay, here are these statistics. That's interesting. But you got to you gotta explore further. And I, and I didn't even drill down very far. Because no. this is all the stuff they included in their own book. But Lisa, why are we reading the normal bar still then for our ex-couple series? Because that is uh, the... The house of sand that our podcast is built on. (laughs) Sure. We're going to be using the normal bar for James and Hercules the same way we've been using it for the other ex couples, just as a jumping off point for For conversation conversation starters. So, listeners, please don't take any of these statistics too seriously. They, like this show, is for entertainment purposes only. We are for ha-has, not I for onos. still really like the idea behind the normal bar where it presents you with a series of, uh, or it presents you with a spectrum of relationships. Siri, I'm not talking to you, be quiet. <laughs> or it presents you with a, a, a spectrum of how people behave in their relationships. And you go like, well, this is what the average is. This is what the quote unquote normal is. Um, is that what we want? Uh, you know, or or even like, uh, how can we use the normal, the average to reflect on our own romance. I think that if we were to build our own normal bar, Mm -hmm. we would seek out couples that were nothing like us. Yeah. You know, like, because Brad and I are two white, cisgendered college graduates, and uh, there are lots of people we can learn from that are not like us. Right, sure, of course. And so I think that if we were to build our own normal bar, we would just have, even though anecdotal evidence is also not science. (laughs) Sure. um, I think that we just have to collect as many differing narratives as we can and go like, okay, ask a slate of regular, like of standardized questions, but then 
include everybody's super not standard, super personal answer. Yeah, because the idea is to be curious. What are other people doing? It's about it's about finding options. It's not about finding what's right or correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not even about finding answers. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um. But before we can move on, Lisa, we got to get to our words of affirmation. No, 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 no. Now, just in case we are getting a bunch of Howlet heads onto this episode, Lisa, can you explain exactly what are words of affirmations to our listeners? The words of affirmation are a way that we give back to our new and upgrading Patreon subscribers. These are affirmations that I collect and curate and use in my own daily life. These particular, this set is a little grab bag. They come from Renee Colvert's interviews with Eliza Schlesinger. I have a hard time saying that name. And LeVar Burton on her podcast, My Pandemic Makeover Spectacular. And yes, the Gullicksons have finally discovered Ted Lasso. It is so good. It's so, it's the most Gullickson sporty thing ever to be birthed into pop culture. I love it so much. It's crazy how much I like Ted Lasso. We got an Apple TV and with the Apple TV came a year subscription free to Apple TV Plus. And the first thing we watched was Ted Lasso because the world was like, you got to watch Ted Lasso, Gullicksons. And boy, the world was right. Thank you, world. Since our last episode with Hindsight and Morph, we've actually gained six new patrons. Yay. And one of them has returned, left for a little bit, came back. So welcome back, Max. Yes, hello. Uh, but we got to get back into like a little bit of a meditative mode. When we're doing words of affirmation, we want to get a little mellow. Yeah, so everybody take a nice deep breath and exhale. Russell Graham, you are a source of light and you cultivate that light to illuminate the darkness. Kevin Ford, you choose to be curious instead of being judgmental. Shayna Marks, your path looks like no one else's. You follow it and allow the world to find its way around you. Max, there is no better candidate to achieve your dreams than you. Amanda Van Perry's, your success is not about wins and losses. It's about helping people be the best versions of themselves on and off the field. Phil Tobin, the wisdom of age is not wasted on you. Can you tell which ones are Ted Lasso <laughs> and which ones are LeVar Burton's? Let us know. Tweet at us. I, again, I say this every time we do words of affirmation, but like I, like I love the hunting and the cultivation of words of affirmation and how we collect them and we apply them. We bought a new marker for our mirror so we can write them up on the wall. Well, I think it's just being in tune with your emotional resonance. Mm. Like we are looking, we are searching for that feeling of like those words are meaningful to me. We're just, I don't know. I, we're just seeking out meaning it's and it feels wonderful. It's just such a non-cynical thing to do. And vulnerable. And vulnerable. And I think, you know, when we first started doing words of affirmation, I was a little hesitant about them. But once I like bought in, I like way bought in. I love these words of affirmation. I am turning Brad into such a hippie. And you it are. Feels, it feels wonderful yeah. because it it also gives me permission. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, I, I can understand that. Um, but all right, it's time for the comic Extreme X-Men. Uh, 
shredding on GarageBand, and weirdly, it's not there. Yeah. I know why it's not there, because uh, metal is not built on loops. No, no. So that's the best electric guitar we could find to to really, like, punctuate Extreme X-Men! Extreme! I love your extreme voice so much, Lisa. <laughs> extreme X-Men. The comic book storyline we're focusing on this week is entitled You Can't Go Home Again, and it appears in Extreme X-Men Volume 2, Issues 6 through 11, which most definitely includes the 7.1 issue. Oh, man, Marvel, please stop doing point one issues. As already stated, it's written by Greg Pak, but it's penciled by a mess load of folks, Lisa, and I'm tired of being the ignorant one. <laughs> I think you deserve uh, an opportunity to mispronounce some names, although I'm not confident that you will mispronounce them because you are a music major, you sing opera. Maybe you can do some justice to these folks. I'm going to give it my best master's degree try. Yeah. So uh, it's Steven Segovia, Raul Valdez, Andre Arujo, and Paco Diaz. The inks are supplied by Dennis Chrysostomo, Lorenzo Ruggiero, Soto Color, I'm guessing, Dan Brown, Andre Arujo, Paco Diaz, and Walden Wong. The comic is colored by Jessica Colleen, Colline, mm -hmm. I'm not sure of the origin of that name, Afansia Noor, Soto Color again, Dan Brown, and Rochelle Rosenberg. All the letters come courtesy of VCs, Joe Sabino. Yeah, thank you, Lisa. I really appreciate it. Here's the general plot synopsis courtesy of Goodreads. The team's mission hits home as they land in the United States of California, birthplace of Kurt Wagoner. What happens if they can defeat this Xavier? And what does it mean for Nightcrawler? Then... Dazzler and her team find themselves in a war against the Brood, but the dimension they've landed in is a little too close to home. Plus, meet the Extreme X-Force. Dazzler's team finds that they can't seem to shake their new X-Force teammates, quote unquote. Will Dazzler be able to take back control of the team? How's that synopsis, Lisa? I thought pretty good, especially with how scattered yeah. this uh, particular comic is. I think that had a lot of zip. Scattered and I liked because it. there's like a bunch of plots happening all over the place. Yeah, I think I probably would have dropped in there, like going from um, universe to universe, killing Xavier's. I think that that is key, but they seem to be trying to hide that particular aspect of the plot. Like to me, like, I think you're right. It's a decent synopsis, but it doesn't really speak to the overall mission of the comic. And so like, if this was your first trade paperback, if you were picking up extreme X-Men volume two, uh, I think you would read that back and you'd be like, what's happening here? I, I think know. maybe it's for people who read a lot of comics and they go like, have I read this one yet? And they read that <laughs> synopsis and they go like, that sounds familiar. But if you haven't read the comic, there's no spoilers yeah, I, in there. I think like the big takeaway there is like defeat this Xavier. Like, mm. so you read defeat this Xavier and you're like, hold up, what's going on? Yeah. So that's kind of exciting. All right. So let's get into the actual discussion about James Howlett and Hercules. Yes. Just like we did with Hindsight and Morph with Generation X, we are only focusing on the panels that have James and Hercules, especially because there is so much insanity going on. Yeah, so uh, apologies to all you Dazzler and Civil War era Cyclops fans. 
but uh, we're not really going to touch them at all. Which is a bit of a bummer because I do like that Civil War Cyclops character. Although, like, it does raise questions around uh, around the multiverse. Like, it's infinite possibilities. So in one universe, there's a Scott Summers who's African-American and fighting for the Union. I, and I just, like, as a Star Trek Mirror Universe fan, like, that's not how I interpret multiverses or how I would like to interpret multiverses. My favorite approach to the multiverse is the idea of bubble universes are created by decisions that we make. Yeah. So for me, I can go, like, I don't really see a decision that would lead to Scott Summers being born uh, back in time in a completely different body. Yeah, and so, like, with Extreme X-Men, I mean, they're doing, like, infinite possibilities as their uh, engine of the multiverse, and I like your thing, you know, like, what? What is, there is another reality where Brad did not marry Lisa, and what does that reality look like? There's a grim. reality. It looks very grim. Very grim. It's an apocalyptic <laughs> situation. But there's a reality where my parents didn't meet, and I don't exist, and some other combination of my genetics are around. Um, but like, there's no version where Brad is actually a lady, and he is a gladiatorial combatant in. Caesar's era. Right, right. Like there's like a certain number of souls that exist and they all got to like you just do like the kind of like like shuffle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Like I I understand the appeal of like look how crazy this world is. Xavier's a whale. Um, but to me like this comic feels a little bit like a lark to me. Like hmm. w when they're going to each of these different universes, I know that they're trying to create some 616 consequences for stakes, but really I feel like, oh, we're, we're never coming back to the unicorn universe again in any kind of consequential way. So it's hard for me to really get invested. Not that I'm like anti-Lark, but I, I like a meaty comic. I, I, I mean, I, I did really like the unicorn universe. I would read that comic <laughs> I would and I would care about those characters. But when it feels like like this is just like a joke or like a toss off thing. Like I'm, I'm less invested. Yeah, I, I understand. I, again, I just like, I like my multiverses, like my Star Trek mirror universes. That's the way I want them. Okay. But, but I feel like the mirror universe is even something even more different. Cause I feel like mir a mirror universe is a, um, an opposite where a bubble universe is a, like a, mm. a deviation. Not that I'm saying that a, a bubble universe can't be a mirror universe. Cause yeah. I, I guess it would just be a universe where you make all of the opposite decisions, I guess. But the odds of stumbling on a mirror universe is going to be like so extraordinary. Uh, we're on the same page. Deviations, not infinite possibilities. That's my idea of multiverse, but that's not what we're dealing with here. Uh, we should just ac accept the story in its own terms. Brad, move on, move on, move on. Yes. One of my like personal pop culture commentary commandments is like, you don't get to reject the premise. Like, this is what the comic is about. Let's just 
accept it for the beautiful, odd little flower that it is. Yeah, and so often criticism is, well, this is not what I want. Yeah. But it's what you got. And, you know, does it work with what it's got? What it's got is James Howlett and Hercules. And guess what? I'm in. They're adorable. This story starts off with our team landing in Kurt's dimension on his Earth. And it's one that looks a lot like the Terminator meets Days of Future Past. Machines are trying to replace humanity. Kurt has been separated for the team and Dazzler and James Howlett are on the hunt for him. The way these machines are finding humans is, of course, through our brainwaves. So Dazzler can use her powers to create photoelectric noise. Sure to block her brainwaves, and she goes to protect James, but James is like, I'm fine, I've got this adamantium skull, medal of the gods, it's no big deal, and she begins teasing him because he got his metal hookup from Hercules, and she saw them together back on his homeworld, and there was palpable chemistry between them. She starts egging him on, going like, just admit it, he's your boyfriend. And he shuts her up real quick with this quote. In my home world, the queen's law prohibit any man from loving another. And we know that back on his home world, he is a person of power. He has a political office. He has a lot to lose. And the idea of him being visibly homosexual is dangerous to him. And he goes on to say, like, I don't know what it's like back on your 616 planet where everything is cool and copacetic. And she's like, actually, to tell you the truth, it's actually not that great there either. Yeah, and I would just echo your sentiment that like it's obvious that he has a deep love for Hercules. And the way that Valdez draws this page in particular is very effective. That panel where he says, you know, on my home world, you know, the Queen's law prohibits any man from loving another, that that pan like his expression, the longing on James Howlett's face reads so well. And I think it's this page really that makes me just connect to their romance so that going forward after this issue, you're just waiting to get Hercules and James Howlett back together again. I like the the idea of star-crossed lovers Mm. from another multiverse where they're facing pains that are not too different than the pains of some people on our own home world and in our own universes. Um, I also want to point out the way that James Howlett talks about their romance versus the way that Hercules talks about their romance because I think that that's one of the most interesting aspects about their relationship. Do we want to talk about that now or do we want to hold just a little bit? I want to save that nugget because it's delicious. All right, okay. So where are we jumping to now after Oh, I do have a a normal bar thing. Oh, yeah, bring it, bring it. Despite having to keep their love on the down low, um, if the Dominion of Canada is anything like our Canada, odds are in their favor that their chemistry is palpable. You've got some Canadian uh, percentages there, some facts, some statistics. Because 71% of Canadians say that they're extremely attracted to their partners. Compare that to Italy, where only 67% of people in relationships 
say that they are extremely attracted to their partners. And in Spain, 80% of people in relationships uh, self-report that they are extremely attracted to their partners. Yeah, but I'm going to go back to the beginning of this episode, Lisa. <laughs> how many Spanish people did they interview? How many Italians? How many Canadians? We have no, no idea. idea. In the U.S., it's 74%. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah, is it? Uh, probably know. not. Okay. All right, where are we going to next then? Because really, the next two issues, issue seven and 7.1, don't have much going on regarding Hercules and James Howlett. Although, issue 7.1 is the issue where we get the brood that is like taking up residence inside an Xavier that's a space whale. So it's a Xavier space whale with a brood inside. And that concept... Uh, is wild and gorgeously drawn. Like page where you get to see the Xavier whale, Lisa. I want that as a Mondo print. It does look like he's carved out of a Vienna sausage. <laughs> so he looks both like not wholesome, but kind of delicious. Yeah, I mean, I think... He <laughs> I was not expecting you to go there. He does look meaty and delicious. I'll give you that. The print is gorgeous. The image is gorgeous. It is. But there's no real James Howlett Hercules conversation. So should we just skip over to issue eight? Yes, please. Okay. Another fun world. We start off in like a zombie land and we leave zombie land and we go to unicorn world. That is also where the extreme X-Force comes in. Not... Not the Unicorn Extreme X-Force, but another version of Dazzler. And she charges in and she's got Civil War Cyclops with her and Hercules and the Hercules that knows James Howlett. So initially they start a fighting and a scrapping. As you want to do there's, in a Marvel comic. There's some fisticuffs and Hercules punches Wolverine, but then recognizes him and they embrace and Herc cups Howlett's face and says... Just as sweet as ever. It's adorable. You know, it's interesting when you're dealing with um, multiverse versions of characters and you're aware that you could be bumping into unicorn versions of yourself or zombie versions of yourself. So when James Howlett does see Hercules for the first time and Hercules sees James Howlett for the first time, they don't necessarily know like, oh, I, that's my Hercules. <laughs> that's my James. And so I guess fighting makes sense there. Uh, but it's only in that moment, like as they're like, because he like Howlett's got his claws out. They are about to like slash each other apart. And then Hercules stops him and gives him like a mighty bear hug. I hope that I would be able to recognize my Brad versus a Brad from an adjacent multiverse. I mean, I would hope that too, Lisa, but also these characters have been burned by that feeling already. Yeah, that's true. And so, you know, like, <laughs> you, you know, when you meet, the first time you meet a Brad that's not this Brad speaking, a, mul a multiverse Brad, and that Brad is a total D-bag and is like really mean and rude to you, I think that experience would be so soul-crushing. Yeah, crushing. that would be traumatic. Like thinking about the mirror universe Lisa where she is mean, 
vicious with her wording. But wildly successful. Wildly successful. <laughs> um, a total celebrity. Banging hot. Banging. Well, yeah, I mean, that's not going to change. That is one of the constants. constants. Right? That's a constant. <laughs> but like the first time I meet that Lisa and she's just like the little bit mean to me, I would just, I'd give up. I'd be done. I don't want to play this game of uh, universe hopping anymore if there's a mean Lisa out there. So for these characters, the extreme X-Men who have encountered bad versions of their friends and lovers when you then reconnect like when Howlett reconnects with Hercules and when Hercules recognizes Howlett like the joy there's like an extra added sense of joy to that reunion and it just because of the odds of it yeah but they do recognize each other and it is beautiful and Hercules pays this really sweet kind compliment to Howlett and do you know what <laughs> what 39% of men and 24% of women report to have partners who hardly ever or never compliment their appearance. And I think that we should observe how many times that Hercules compliments Ooh. Howlett's appearance versus Howlett complimenting Hercules. And I'm, I'm taking that you uh, made some notes. I did. I did. And only 9% of men and 18% of women say that their partners tell them that they look good every day. This yeah. is one of those things where I think that self-reporting really is a terrible way of tracking this because I know that there are days where I feel like I don't get a compliment mm. every day, but the factor of the matter is I probably do. And my self-esteem is terrible, so sometimes <laughs> I get a compliment and I bat it away mm -hmm. and I go like well that compliment doesn't count because I want it kind yeah, of. We, we've talked about that on this podcast in the past we're both terrible at remembering compliments but we uh, have an elephant's memory when it comes to negative experiences and so we tend to focus on the bad feelings and forget the good feelings and but, also like I think everybody relates to that. Oh of course I think yeah I think yeah. and we're also humans who go like sometimes the moment that you're in or the emotion that you're in feels like all of the time. Yeah, but I also don't think we should skip over the importance of complimenting one's partner's looks. Especially when you get negative feedback. Because I know that like by Brad paying me a compliment and me rejecting it, I know that it hurts his feelings. It, and yeah. I don't want to create this feedback loop where Brad goes like, I'm going to stop paying compliments because I cannot take the hurt yeah. of you and, rejecting and them. I, th I think we've talked about that on the podcast in I the past not. as well. No, but, but, you know, there are times where you're in a, I mean, we actually, and this is, there's times when I'm in a self-loathing mm -hmm. mode as well, and I'm not happy with the way a shirt fits me. And you'll say something nice about it, but you don't even realize that I am in a negative shame spiral in my head. And so when you say something nice about that shirt, I was like, oh, yeah, well, then look at this. And then I'll, <laughs> I'll pull the shirt across my big old yeah. gut and then I'll just shove my gut in your face. And that's not nice to you. That's not nice. But I think that, like, we're partners with whomever our partner is that day. That's part of a, being in a relationship. Mm, that's a you good know? point. And so, like, 
I love the Brad who is uh, finding ways to make a T-shirt look unflattering. <laughs> and I love the Brad who walks out with his Hawaiian shirt going like, I look great today. Oh, I man. love them both. Yesterday, I'm going so off field here, but I have to highlight, you know, uh, I drove you to work yesterday. Yeah. And I left the apartment wearing cargo shorts, uh, black socks pulled up all the way to my knees, <laughs> my Nikes, uh, a Marvel t-shirt and a Hawaiian shirt over the Marvel t-shirt. Every ounce of clothing purchased from Target during the pandemic. Yep, yep. And I looked at myself, I caught myself approaching my car door mirror, and I was just like, is that my dad from 1985? I like your pandemic chic. It's oh, bold, man. it's brave, yeah, it's distinct. Yeah. Did, it does feel like I'm dating Brad from an adjacent universe yeah. because he's got this long hair and uh, crazy fashion yes. sense. Having your socks pulled up to your knees was new. I mean, it was cold out. (laughs) (laughs) But okay, so back to the comic. Hercules compliments Howlett's looks. It's an adorable moment. Again, art-wise, the expression on Hercules' face is very sweet. You see the love there. I I think that the art in the Unicorn comic, even though I teased the Unicorn universe early in this yeah. In this episode, I do think it's really cute. Yeah, I think it's a lot of fun. Marvel's My Little Pony. I would I would buy those up. Those have to exist, yeah. right? Marvel Legends My Little Pony Marvel figures. Yes, please. Thank you, Hasbro. Lisa, how excited were you when you saw the cover to issue number 9? Uh, I wanted to hold a séance for Clara Peller because I know where the beef is. It's on this cover <laughs> and it is so delicious. So, this is this is the image that you see on this episode. It's the, the image that we've decided to represent our Hercules and James Howlett love. And it's a cover by Kalman Andrasovsky. Andrasovsky, would you say? I think so. Uh, And it is Howlett and Hercules in full leather daddy mode raising, well, Hercules is raising a big old broadsword and uh, Howlett is going full uh, snick snick against an unseen agitator carrying a sword. This issue is set in a... Lord of the Rings adjacent. Uh, in my notes, I said witchy demony. Yeah, a witchy demony land. Um, but that cover, you see that cover, and you're like, this is. I'm in. I mean, this is why we picked Howlett and Hercules to cover as our final X couple because that image is just so powerful. Um, the the rest of the art inside, like I don't want to throw a ton of shade. It's it's got some really strong moments and. I, I, like, you know, it's Paco Diaz. I think he's a strong illustrator. I like the colors. The, oh, it's a, it's gorgeously colored. I think he does uh, justice to Hercules and Howlett. Um, but we were talking off air and uh, the Allison Blair design is not cool. It's problematic. Well, I'm, and it's not just this particular issue. It's throughout this series. The art is very uneven. Yeah, it fluctuates. And that's, I mean, it it does a disservice to the comic as a whole. But, like, in a lot of panels, Alison Blair Dazzler looks ridiculously thin. And as a person, uh, an eating disorder survivor, I find it a little bit triggering. That being said, we just like drooled over unreasonably beefy men. (laughs) So I'm sure that there is another side to this. It's not all about, you know. I mean, that's a fair point, Lisa. The the one thing I find particularly 
offensive slash Gross. hilarious. Yeah. No, oh, I'm saying hilarious. hilarious. Is the last issue ended oh, yeah. with Captain Allison Blair stabbing Dazzler through and reading this following issue, it seems to be only so that Dazzler is wearing a bandage that is just around her boobs. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. still even bandaged up remain spherical and rock hard. Yeah, I mean, body diversity in comics is has been a problem for a long time. Uh, but I, it, I, I do think that the way Paco Diaz draws Allison Blair in this issue. And other artists in other issues. And, and other artists in other issues is like exceptionally vulgar. Yeah, yeah. But now, Lisa, that you've pointed out how much drooling and excitement I had over Hercules and Howlett, maybe you're just exposing some uh, biases that I have. I don't know. Now I feel weird about it. I, I mean, it's, it's reasonable that we're more sensitive to my particular set of issues that mm. I have. And, and lately I've been more vocal about it because we are celebrating diversity in comics and it is beautiful. And how exciting is it to be having a conversation about a homosexual couple? It's just so awesome. But now that we're talking, like, I feel like I have more of a platform to say like, hey, when I open a comic book that celebrates diversity and you look at three diverse women who you could interchange their heads yeah. and they're all shaped the same, like an unreasonable size negative zero. Right. Like it, it's upsetting to me. And I, and I am, I feel empowered to talk about it a little bit more than maybe I did when I was in the throes of my disorder. Well, I mean, I'm definitely thankful for it because it's something that, you know, the younger Brad would not have keyed in on at all without your help. And so I'm appreciative. Uh, now, getting back to Howlett and Hercules, during one of these many battles that you see in this issue where they're going to town against these evil witchy orcs, there is a mighty awesome panel where Howlett decapitates one of these orcs rescuing Dazzler with his claws. And Hercules sees this and shouts out, Ha! That's the Howlet I love! And, you know, like, yeah! There is something so endearing about Herc's pride in his love for Howlet, especially knowing how Howlet has these, like, complicated, shamey feelings about it. And... I like I think it has something to do with the confidence that comes from being considered a god uh, that's versus what, yes. being considered a mutant. Yes. Cuz if you think about them on, like in the comic book world, there's nothing that different about them. They are just these extraordinary beings. Yes. But in one context, they're considered, oh, they're a god, they're special, they're sacred even. Where with mutants, they get the message of, oh, you're different, you're yeah. weird. I'm so glad you're coming up with this because I had that thought process too. You know, with Hercules, he's such a vain character. That's part of his charm is how much he loves himself. Like he he's really living his best life and he knows it. And so when he sees Howlett, like just decimate these orcs, his joy 
over witnessing Hallett is kind of like an extension of his own vanity and ego. Like, that's the man that I love. That's the man that I picked. That's my person and therefore an extension of myself. Yes. Yeah. And so I think that, like, that is joyous and it stems from him being a god. And, you know, Hallett doesn't behave in the same way because he is a mutant and he may be the governor general of the Dominion of Canada or whatever, pretty big deal. But there's still that... Um, not, not, uh, not shame, but as a mutant and a gay man in Canada, he has received so much hatred from others that it, it like, how does that not corrupt you or anger you or dampen your, your spirit in a way that Hercules does it. Like Hercules is not allowed to be with James Hallett because daddy says only I can sleep with humans. Like that's a totally different thing. Because in Olympus or whatever, sleeping with mortals is a power thing. If you are powerful, yes. you get to sleep with mortals. Where having a homosexual relationship in the context of the Dominion of Canada and some other places, perhaps, it's like giving into this dark need that you should really not be indulging. Right. And, you know, we know that that's not the case. But when you have a society that's condemning you as a person. Yeah. Well, and uh, like we were talking off mic about um, it like does the adamantium skull always protect oh, right. you from psychic attacks. Psychic attacks has nobody been in Wolverine's head. And it spurred off onto this conversation of, well, in some in some continuities, it he has from all of his trauma, he has all of this mental scar tissue right. from his um you know, regeneration factor. Yeah, so it's not the adamantium protecting him, it's his healing factor. But I think that if you think of his healing factor and trauma, mm. like he has got to have all of this mental, emotional scar tissue that Hercules just does not have. Yeah, over, yeah right, that's, that's absolutely true, yeah. Sticking with this issue though, when... Hercules and Howlett go undercover and they put on those costumes that we see on the cover of this issue. Uh, I, I really enjoy Hercules going like, oh, I've always wanted to get you in leather. So, you know, Greg Pak is having fun with the kink here and I appreciate that. I think the timing of that comment is key here though, because Hercules says that leather comment mm -hmm. right after Howlett has put him down. Because does he? Yeah, Dazzler initially was just going to send Howlett undercover because he has the adamantium skull and there's the witchy Xavier probing uh, people. Yeah, and Hercules volunteers to go with, and Dazzler's like, "Well, you don't have an adamantium skull, so you're going to put this whole plan in jeopardy." And he goes like, I'm a demigod. <laughs> there is nobody probing this old noggin. <laughs> yeah. And Howlett replies, not that they'd find anything there mm. if they did. Right, yeah. Where, like, to me, that really stings, especially knowing that Hercules puts Howlett up on the pedestal, like, at every opportunity. Mm. And then at the first opportunity to take a swipe at Hercules, Howlett takes it. Mm. And and I just think it's a sign of Hercules's 
understanding and graciousness to laugh it off and say like, well, I've always wanted to get you in leather anyway. And, and so how do you, how do you read that from Howlett's perspective? I mean, I mean, I guess that's an extension of the hurt that all that mental scar tissue we were just talking about. I think that just like Hercules sees Howlett as an extension of himself and it makes him proud. I think that Howlett sees Hercules as an extension of himself and an extension of his shame. Mm. So to see Hercules talk about their relationship all of the time and everything he says in in this group is in context to them being lovers, I think that it causes him social discomfort. And mm. I think that this is him just lashing out in discomfort. And I think that Hercules understands that but I do think that it would help their relationship if Howlett understood better that when you say negative things out loud, it changes not only your brain chemistry, but the brain chemistry of everyone around you. It's like, so unfortunate that we don't have more comics with these two characters where they could explore these issues a little bit deeper and further. There's so much dynamic potential with these two because I think that I think that Hercules, at least in this context, I really do think that Hercules can be a great and beautiful and healing influence on James Howlett. Mm. I do have some kink stats Ooh. from the normal bar. There are no specific statistics in like what percentage of men would like their partners to be leather daddies. And I can tell you, I, I consider this to be a huge blind spot in the normal bar. The whole kink chapter actually is an enormous, it, it reads like it was written by my eighth grade CCD teacher. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to go into specifics because I do think that it would be triggering from some, for some so people. You're so brutal to the normal bar. But what they put under kink. Uh-huh. It's just, like, ridiculous. Okay, okay. Okay. But they do have statistics on <laughs> what uh, people who are cons uh, interested in role play in the bedroom. Okay. And it says that 16% of respondents self-report to participate in role play, though 25% of extremely sexually satisfied couples incorporate role play in the bedroom. Hmm. They say that 30% of gay males who are very sexually satisfied say they participate in role play. But let's keep in mind right. that these statistics could be based on six people. We have no idea. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, like, I love the statistics, but like now when you bring them up, I'm just, I immediately just start to like wash them away. Yeah, <laughs> Not I, listening. I go totally blank on it. That's probably, uh, you know, I, I find role play fascinating and I don't want to get too TMI with our list. Listeners, but we don't role play. And and I'm not interested. You say that, and we do check in with each other uh, every now and again. Be like, uh, do you want a thing? Would you like a little else? bit of this? Are you enjoying a what's going down? That? What's I happening? think that it is important, like in a sexual relationship, to have a state of the union yes. type discussion of is everybody is everybody happy? Is everybody getting yeah. uh, getting their cookies yes. and all of that good stuff? Yeah. yeah. Um, so role play not currently on the table, but I do own some wigs, yeah. so it could happen at any time. <laughs> I have a growth mindset. I don't put anything out 
of the question. I have a couple of things out of the question, but that is between me and my lover. (laughs) Okay. All right. Uh, Anything else with this issue, Lisa, before we move on? I think we've got it covered. Let's get into issue 10. So this issue is the one where we finally square off with Nazi Xavier. Um, What I like about this issue, I mean, this is a significant issue for Hercules and James. Uh, they it it starts off kind of like um, like the classic X Men day off mm-hmm. comic right where the X Men are playing basketball or baseball or going on a picnic or going on a picnic and and in this issue they're going for a swim they're somewhere what does it say they're somewhere on the Atlantic Ocean yeah so they're somewhere on an island in the Atlantic Ocean not named uh, the first portion of the comic is Dazzler and Civil War Cyclops. Um, exploring their romantic feelings and Civil War Cyclops gives his origin tale of how he came to be on the team. Um, And I love like that Civil War steampunk X-Men team where we get like Civil War War Machine and Civil War Storm. Very cool looking. Um, But like I have, honestly, there's no chemistry like the chemistry between dazzler and cyclops just does not play well for me and i think a lot of the civil war cyclops stuff is incredibly awkward Mm -hmm. yeah so there's that but the best part of this comic of issue 10 is when we learn the romantic origins of hercules and howlett and it's so brief it's just one page but it's a great page Hercules is super stoked to share their like little meat cute yeah. story, but Howlett tries to stop it before it starts. He's like, they don't, they don't need to hear that, Hercules. And he's like, come on, it's a good story, adventure, heroism, romance, and let's not forget reckless abandon. And it reminds me of excuse me for bringing up another love expert from another issue, but it reminds me of the doctors Gottman from eight Mm. dates in their love lab. They found the number one determinant of a couple staying together was how they told the narrative of their story. Did they glorify their struggle? Yeah. Was their romance a defiance of odds or do they catastrophize it? Yeah, and, and that, I, that narrative idea is something that we have latched onto and we talk about all the time outside of this podcast. So I think that going forward in their relationship, Howlett needs to take a note from Hercules and start realizing that their narrative can be triumphant and can be victorious and beautiful and all of those things. But I think he should also keep in mind that even though they are in a relationship and they love each other, it is not on the optimistic partner to drag a, ner- a negative Nelly all the way through their life together. Yeah, and that's something that we talk about a lot between us. Because it's exhausting. But I do think that it benefits a person to consider to like just take a peek behind the point of view of your partner to see how they see you. And I do think that how it would benefit from observing himself through Hercules eyes and realize that when he looks at Hercules and he feels love and bliss and attraction, 
that's what Hercules feels for him. Yeah. It is a mutually beneficial admiration partnership. Yeah. But but that is also very hard to do. It is a practice mm-hmm. that you have to practice. And we have not mastered it and as a couple. We have not. And it's it's something that I am thinking about a lot lately. Um, you know, because when I start to feel self-doubt or I, I get trapped in like imposter syndrome land or whatever, uh, I, I have to like I have to take a step back and go and 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 you know you're comforting me and I have to sit in Lisa's head for a little bit and mm. look at Brad from Lisa because you're literally the most handsome, most fun. I could have picked anybody in the world. Like I said, universal constant hotness here, <laughs> and I and I picked you. But see, like as you started to say that, my initial reaction was like, okay, okay, stop it, stop it, <laughs> and that. That impulse, Brad, uh, you have to you have to stop and you have to listen to Lisa. You have to listen to Lisa compliment you, and you have to take in those compliments. And you cannot be cynical about it. And you and cannot lash out. Yes, but I mean, the lashing out's not necessarily my problem. I mean, it does happen for me. It's dismissing. You cannot dismiss mm. immediately. Dismiss. Watch that behavior. That's not to say that Hercules is perfect, because this is the way that he sa- he tells their story. They slay one of the worst Canadian monsters and their love is revealed. And here's the quote, the gods had always been polyamorous, but mighty Zeus didn't take kindly to any god but himself com- consorting with mortals. So for him, the issue is I've got daddy issues, but that's not Howlett's problem. When their love was revealed, he lost Everything. his status. He lo- he was governor general of the Dominion of Canada, and that was gone. His career, everything he had built was ruined. And I think that Hercules needs to remember to include Howlett's very mortal problems. And uh, Howlett's tr- the sacrifice. And struggle. Know, and, and make loss. that... Make that part of the heroism. Yeah, yeah. James Howlett gave up everything for me. And our love and we as individuals are better and stronger for it. And then we were cast into the pit of TARDIS where we (laughs) fought flesh-eating damned souls for three to four years. Boom. Nailed it. Uh, Again, like I said at the beginning of this podcast, you get to the page and you just want an entire series around that story. It's such a shame that we have all that narrative in like six panels. Six pretty cool looking panels Six though. very cool looking panels. Uh, and again, you know, like unfortunately that's pretty much it for the relationship of James Howlett and Hercules within this volume. In the epic battle against Nazi Xavier, we also meet Namor who's working with the Japanese. Um, you know, uh, uh, the final issue, issue 11 is just punchy, smashy, fighty, fighty. And you know, it's, it's okay. Um, but it's, Ultimately, Dazzler's story and the romantic element that ends the the tale is Cyclops and Dazzler's relationship before we learn. And we, Lisa, we haven't even talked about the quote unquote good Xavier severed <laughs> head that floats around with the team. 
But that good severed is. He's doing quotey quote hands. Yeah, I don't know why I'm doing quotey. I'm doing quotey quote hands around the word good because he's actually not good. He's another bad Xavier. Oops. And that bad Xavier teams up with the Witch King Xavier. And that's the cliffhanger that ends this story leading into the final volume of Extreme X-Men. And by final volume, I mean actually the final two issues, because the final two issues of Extreme X-Men are part of a crossover event called Exterminators that ties in with Astonishing X-Men and Age of Apocalypse, Age of Apocalypse being probably the most popular multiverse storyline to spin out of X-Men. It created Exiles, and without Exiles, we wouldn't have Extreme X-Men, but the characters that we like from this book are relegated to the side, side, sidelines for the most part, honestly. And Lisa, I've told you this already, but they kill off Hercules. Boo. This version of Hercules. on so many levels. And it's so lame. And the Howlett-Hercules relationship is reduced to tragedy but they don't even give the tragedy any time because Howlett just has to get back into kicking butt. And there's no even real like resolution to that. There's no real sorrow. It's just a thing that happens in this big crossover action comic. And it's just irritating. It's More frustrating. scar tissue to motivate the James Howlett yeah, character. But like, but like this James Howlett, we, we don't even really see again after the Exterminator story either, you know. Um, and so we have Wolverine to play with. We have our 616 Hercules to play with in Marvel Comics. But these guys, which it, like it's just they're so interesting. The romance is so interesting. I'm I'm here to preach, to beg Marvel, bring these characters back. I think there's story that deserves to be explored. There's a lot of story that should have been chewed on and we were robbed of. Yes. And I guess now, Lisa, we're at the portion of the show where we talk about what we have learned as a couple reading The Normal Bar and exploring the romance between Howlett and Hercules. What I'm coming away from this conversation with is, do I think of myself as a mutant or do I think of myself as a god? Ooh, interesting. Because I do think that... So many people gravitate towards the mutants, myself included, because the idea of feeling like an outsider or feeling different um, is so relatable. Yep. Um, And feeling like a god is not. Is not. Is not. But (laughs) I I think that we do have to occasionally contextualize ourselves like the extraordinary, Mm. special, individual unique gifts to the universe. I like this. That we are. I, I you know, like I, I don't think feeling like Hercules is natural for us uh, mortals, but maybe we should try it on. Maybe we should wear Hercules every now and again. Like to like in this very episode, I joked like it was a joke that my hotness is a universal <laughs> constant <laughs> and undeniable. And uh do I feel like that? No, I do not. Did I get a little jazz when I said it? Yes, I did. It was fun to say, and maybe. Maybe true. May, to a lot of people, perhaps. There's so many people in this universe, 
And definitely I, to one person, yeah, your husband, Brad. I'm a babe. You are. I'm a babe and I'm smart. Yes. And I'm capable. Yes. And I think that I have superpowers yes. that I bring hopefully to this podcast. I bring to our relationship. I bring to my own life. And I think that, you know, we could all celebrate our godliness instead of. Where that Hercules. Um, focusing on what makes us feel like, ugh, I'm such a weirdo. Yeah, 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 yeah. You have to combat the negativity with positivity. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I'm a firm believer in that. And I love the metaphor of wearing Hercules, being a little Hercules every mm-hmm. now and again. I think that's very, very cool. Um, for myself, I feel like we've learned a lot. I think we've discussed a lot of interesting topics through the lens of Howlett and Hercules that I really appreciate in this moment, kind of spinning off of what you just said, the idea of looking at yourself through the eyes of your lover is very important. Um, I think it's something that I need help with. I think it's something that you need help with. I think it's something that we all need help with. Uh, uh, But like when you encounter a moment, and I didn't even pick up on it in Extreme X-Men until you pointed it out on this show, but when you talk about um, Howlett giving a diss to Hercules um, when they're putting on their leather daddy costumes. Like when those moments like suddenly get highlighted, like whether you've done the dissing or you've been dissed, you need to stop and like go like, okay, something something was just said. I, I feel hurt somehow. Mm. Um, maybe, maybe I should figure out why. Or did I just, Lisa didn't even really respond to the thing I just said, but did the thing I just say, like, was that was that cool? Was that hurtful? I have found myself where I, like, joke sometimes, and I go, like, was that funny? Or was Brad just trying to be clever? Mm, yeah. And yeah. was I just hurtful? I think that, like, humor is beautiful, mm. and I hope that I use it effectively. But I think that it is also a defense mechanism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And defec- defense defenses are not always needed. Yeah. So, like, the things I'm coming away with from Hercules and Howlett is observing yourself through your partner's love and just being being aware of the things you're saying and the, mm. and why you're saying them. There is one more thing I want to say about the normal bar that I <laughs> like I don't want this is the what I don't want our listeners to come away with and I don't want my cuz I find myself coming away with this a little bit and I don't want it to happen. There are statistics, there are numbers that are real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you're not saying like st- you're not being my parents. Where like statistics lie. You're not necessarily saying that. It's you're, not all fuzzy math. You were just deeply disappointed by the normal bar, and with every episode we did using the normal bar, the more angry and frustrated you became with the normal bar. So I think what I I personally have learned is like when you hear uh, something in the news, and I'm like. Wow, am I breaking new ground here? <laughs> but when you hear read something on Twitter, um, and you you hear something that you want to repeat, like take the time to go to that second layer of research and go like, where is this fact coming from? Is it coming from a place that I trust? Am I being manipulated somehow? Confirmation bias is a real problem for everyone. And who doesn't want to believe that 100% of extremely happy homosexual couples are not constantly massaging each other? But apparently 
further research is needed in this area. I'm not a scientist, but maybe you are. And that's going to end our X-Couples series for 2021. We may get back to a mutant or two this year, but that's our big X-Men uh, series. And I had, a, I had a lot of fun with it. So did I. And I think we've made some wonderful new X-Friends. Oh, Current friends, not X-E-X friends, but like <laughs> X-Friends. That's a fact. That's a fact. But like, okay, so we got a lot going on here at Comic Book Couples Counseling. We hope you folks have been enjoying our Creator Corner interviews our recent chats with Drawing Monsters co-director Kevin Hanna and Stan Lee biographer Abraham Reisman have been very successful for this podcast, and they've actually landed us some other really cool guests. We're not going to say who just yet, though we have mentioned it on our Patreon Slack, just putting it out there, because these things can always fall through. But in anticipation of two new Creator Corners coming up very shortly... Our next episode is going to be another one-off conversation, sort of like what we've been doing with our X-Couples series and what we did with Vision and Virginia as seen in Tom King and Gabriel Walta's The Vision. So with all the excitement around the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, we wanted to look at the buddy banter dynamic between Sam Wilson and James Buchanan, Bucky Barnes. It's a platonic love story, the first one we've really covered on this show and that's kind of exciting in its own right and i'm just just gonna go online and find an article about being best bros because i'm sure that exists yeah uh we're going to discuss the most recent miniseries the falcon and the winter soldier written by Derek landy and penciled by federico vincente uh, and uh, what's interesting about this run i've already read it is how it goes this incredible distance in trying to adapt the MCU personalities of those characters to fit the Marvel Comics personalities. And I'm curious to see what Lisa thinks of that dynamic. Uh, so that's about it, folks. April is going to be a big month for CBCC, and it's all building to a massive comic book couple celebration for the month of May. Any guesses? Mm. Four episodes focusing on one couple an iconic couple, a couple that's hitting a milestone anniversary. Too many clues, Brad. <laughs> Too many clues. Okay, Brad, it's time to bamf our sweet bippies out of here. <laughs> sweet bippies. Where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? Uh, you can find me on all social medias at MouthDork. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at A Cool Hand Fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art, send them over to Karen Charm at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, and iTunes. If you'd like to get exclusive, Ooh. you can join our Patreon, where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes, and we are doing weekly Falcon Winter Soldier yes. recappy type yeah. chitty chatty episodes. Yeah, every episode now, because Kevin Ford, our Patreon, demand, demanded it. Our Patreon demanded it? Kevin Ford. We've named our Patreon Kevin <laughs> Ford. No, he's a patron. Congrats, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com, or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at cbccpodcast. You can give us the gift of five stars on Apple Podcasts, and if you'd like to do an act of service... 
why not write a review of the show while you're there? We are fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod. So until next time, folks, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. That is the nerdiest fucking shit I've ever said. (laughs) 